Well, a few announcements before I get started. I just want to draw your attention to, uh, again, to our membership lunch next Sunday, uh, the 27th. It'll be a great opportunity to hear more about our church, whether you've been here, uh, like I said, every, every week for two years or you're brand new. This is a great opportunity uh, to learn more about our church, what we believe, what we do, and uh, an opportunity to actually commit and join our church. So that's a, a new thing that we're going to be starting, and it starts with this first Welcome to the City lunch. We'll have childcare. We'll have lunch available after the 1130 service next week. So I want to invite you sign up on our app. Now uh, there's an icon that says, welcome to the city. That's where you can sign you up, your kids up. And then also this fall, we're going to have a intro to missions class. Uh, it's going to go through a study called explore. Uh, Jacob who oversees our, our missions is going to be leading that class. And uh, if you've ever been interested in missions and what God's doing in the nations, uh, I, I would challenge you to sign up for this class. It's not signing on a dotted line saying you're going to Zimbabwe or something like that. This is just kind of exploring and finding out what, what is God doing in the nations? Uh, what, what's the progression of the gospel? Where, where where are we at? Uh, the, Jesus said that before he comes, the gospel will be preached in all nations. So how are we doing with that? Where are we at? And, and uh, you'll find out things like uh, right now, even still 40% of the population of our world has never heard the name of Jesus, never seen a church, never seen a Bible. Uh, they're called unreached people groups. And so uh, those unreached people groups should be intolerable to us as Christians. We should be doing whatever it takes uh, to get people to unreach people groups. And so I want our church to be a sending church uh, where we raise up people and we send out people from our church to go to unreach people groups. And this is the first step in that. So I'm real excited uh, about this class that's gonna come this fall. So if that's you, if you've ever been interested in that, just wanna know more about it, uh, sign up for that class on our app as well. Uh, you just click the missions icon and then go to that explore uh, mobilization missions class, all right? And then finally, we are uh, starting or we did start, I believe, on Friday in the book of Philippians in our daily devotionals. And uh, so we're picking up with Philippians chapter two tomorrow. So if you're not doing that, I would invite you to read the scripture with us verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Uh, we do that together as a church. A lot of our groups are, are, do that together. So I would invite you starting our, our daily devotionals. If you hadn't done that or maybe you've forgotten about that, pick that back up this week as we start in the book of Philippians. Well, if I were to say you've got to pick one or the other, Coke or Dr. Pepper. All right. Let me, let me see the, the Dr. Pepper hands. You'd say I'm a Dr. Pepper person. All right. Hands down. Coke people. Let me see you, your hands up. Okay. Coke won out in this service. Dr. Pepper, which is like, you know, water to me, won out in the first two services. All right. If I had to say, if I said, you got to choose one or the other, uh, Marvel or DC, who are my Marvel people? Let me see your hands. Okay. Where are my DC people? Where are the people that have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, a few of you, all right. Okay, if I said Cowboys or Chiefs, you gotta pick one or the other, okay? So I don't wanna hear any Texans or Patriots or anything like that, okay? You gotta choose one or the other, Cowboys or Chiefs. You say, I, I would choose the Cowboys. If I had to choose, I'm gonna choose the Cowboys. Wow. We're in Texas, people, come on now, okay. If I said you had to choose the Chiefs, okay, how many Chiefs people? All right. And the rest of you are saying you would choose someone else. That's not an option. All right. Okay. If I said you got to choose cats or dogs, let me see the cat people. Boo. Okay. If I said, okay, dogs, how many dogs? All right. Okay. Dogs want out in every service. If I said Kobe or LeBron, 
Now, I know if you're my age or older, you're probably thinking, but what about Jordan? I totally get it, okay? But we're just going with Kobe and LeBron for now, okay? So where are my Kobe people out? You got to choose one or the other, okay? Kobe, what about LeBron? Boo. All right, yes. Kobe won again. That's three services, three for three. All right. If I said Team Edward or Team Jacob, some of you are like, who are those people? I agree. I don't really know myself, but apparently this is a thing. So who's Team Edward? All right, hands down, Team Jacob. All right, it was about, it was kind of like that. The rest of you don't know who Edward and Jacob are, so you didn't raise your hands. It's kind of what the way all the other services went as well. If I said the office or Parks and Rec, who are my office people? All right, what about Parks and Rec? Let me see your hands. Okay, the office one again, three for three. Okay, if I said Apple or... No, never mind. It doesn't matter. It's just Apple. Apple wins. Um, What about Whataburger or Chick-fil-A? Where are my Whataburger people at? Let me see your hands. Okay. What about Chick-fil-A? Let me see your hands. Chick-fil-A, three for three. I agree. In light of the current uh, or diminishing quarantine, however you want to look at it, uh, where are my Zoomers at? My Zoom people. Let me see Zoom people. Okay. What about Google Meets? Hands. What are y'all using? Other than FaceTime or something else? Okay, all right. Okay, what if I said Republican or Democrat? Let me see. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. (laughs) But let me ask you, in, in light of that, let me ask you this question. This is what I want you to think about today. Is either or the only way forward? I gave you an either or choice. You couldn't choose both. Well, I like the Cowboys and the Chiefs. That, that's me. I like, I like them both. All right. Uh, I only like Kobe. I don't like LeBron. All right. But, but even though he's on the Lakers now, so I, I, I got to deal with that. But, but I didn't give you a choice to like both. And I didn't give you another option. I just said, it's either this or that. Is that the only way forward? Is either or the only way forward in our country? Here's what I mean. Is it, we agree on every little thing. And so that means we can be family and friends and Facebook friends. We can be Facebook official, right? But only if we agree on everything, because if we disagree on anything, then that means we are mortal enemies. All right. And I'm going to unfollow you and defriend you, or I'm going to blast you on social media, right? In this series, we're going to address some elephants in the room, the tensions in our country, And the tension that's developed even among Christians, people who love Jesus and love God's word, there is tension in our country and it's only going to probably get worse over the next couple of months. And so what do we do about that as followers of Jesus? Well, as followers of Jesus, we apply the gospel and we preach the gospel even to tense situations, to things that are uncomfortable, to things that probably a lot of us would rather not talk about, that we would rather dodge, especially in the church. But Paul says this in Galatians 5 verse 15. He says, but if you were always biting and devouring one another, and does that not sound like our culture today? The toxic environment that we find ourselves in today, this toxic either or kind of environment. But if you find yourself always biting and devouring one another. Is that not social media? You read through social media, everybody's biting and, and devouring one another, right? But if you're always biting and devouring one another, Paul says, watch out, watch out, beware, because you're going to destroy one another. This biting and devouring 
either or toxic environment and culture we find ourselves in is destroying ourselves. It's destroying our country. And what do we tell kids when they bite? Stop biting, right? Look at your neighbor and say, stop biting. Don't bite, right? That's what we tell a child who bites their friends. Why? Because they got to grow up. They got to mature. They got to stop hurting their friends. You ever seen the shirt that says with the little kid on it that says, I punch my friends, you know, we, we got to stop punching and hitting our friends. We got to stop biting and devouring one another. Or Paul says, we're going to destroy each other. We're going to destroy our country. And let me ask you this. Is this the kind of environment, the kind of culture that we want to pass down to the next generation? It's either going to get worse or it's going to get better. And I don't know about you, it, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better, but I, I for one, want to be a part of the solution. I, I want to be a part of seeing it get better. I would like to leave a different kind of culture for the next generation. And if, that, if that's going to happen, if that's even remotely possible, it's going to take followers of Jesus living in a different way, conducting themselves in a different way. It's become normal for citizens in our country to bite and devour one another. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live and to act differently than the culture. Paul says this in Philippians 1 verse 27, above all, he says, you must live as citizens of heaven. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. And you're looking forward to, you're longing for the day. Hebrews 11 says, when we'll be, get to, to live in our better country, a, a better city, Hebrews 11 says, that God is preparing for us as his kids. This new city, the new Jerusalem is gonna come out of heaven, down to earth, where we'll live forever with Jesus in a new city, on a new earth, new bodies for, forever and ever. And, and Hebrews 11 says a, a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, people of faith long for that day. They're looking forward to that day and they consider themselves citizens of heaven. And so then it says this in Hebrews 11. So people of faith consider themselves to be strangers here on earth. So we are above all citizens of heaven. Our citizenship in heaven is above it comes before any earthly citizenship. And so Paul says, above all, live as citizens of heaven. How do we do that? We conduct ourselves, Paul says, in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. That's how a citizen of heaven is supposed to live. We conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus. So watch this. Here's what Paul's saying. Your heavenly citizenship always informs your earthly citizenship. Your, your heavenly citizenship in heaven, our faith is always informing how we engage in this culture, how we act, how we conduct ourselves, what we believe, how we vote. Our heavenly citizenship informs, it directs, it teaches our earthly citizenship. And so as citizens of heaven, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So how do we do that? And what's the alternative to this either or toxic environment we find ourselves in? How do we do that? Well, turn to John chapter one. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the verses on the screen. We'll continue to have the verses on the screen, but I want to encourage you jump on our app now and click message notes. 
You can follow along with us. The verses and the points will be there. You can fill in the blank as we go with the words that are in all caps on the screen. And you can email yourself your notes at the end of our time together. That's the way to really make the most out of our time together. Engage, lean in and participate and don't just sit back and watch. So what's the alternative to the either or culture? How do we live and conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? The good news about Jesus. Well, we, we look at the life of Jesus and we look how Jesus conducted himself. What was Jesus about? And then that will inform how we conduct ourselves as citizens of our country. John chapter one, here's what it says, starting in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So whatever the word is, it's God. It's another word for God. The word is God. He was with God in the beginning. So through him, so the word is a him now. The word is God. The word was with God. So now we, we've got this idea already here of this plurality, that God exists in some sort of community or in a plurality. One God, the scripture teaches that he exists in three persons. And we see that all the way even in the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis chapter one, God says, let us make man in our image. He refers to himself in the plural. So one God existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the word is him, Jesus, and the word is God. So Jesus is God and the word was with God. So here we see this idea of the Trinity, the Godhead, where one God eternally exists in three persons. He was with God in the beginning and through him, through the word, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Jesus, in the word was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14 now, the word, so Jesus, who's always existed, who is God and who was with God in the beginning, the word became flesh, became man and made his dwelling among us, came and lived among us, became and lived among mankind. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. This is Jesus. Watch this. Full of what? Grace and truth. Will you say that with me? Full of grace and truth. One more time. All right. Full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And Jesus is God. Jesus moved to earth, took on flesh so that we could know God, so that we can know what God is like, what he wants how we can have a relationship with God. Paul says in Colossians chapter one, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We couldn't see God. We hadn't never seen him before, but, but then Jesus comes, he's the image of the invisible God. And now we can see God. We can touch him and see him and feel him and eat with him and hang out with him and hear. I mean, Jesus was God in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. He was God in a bod. That's what Jesus was. God God in a bod. Hebrews 1, the writer says that Jesus was the exact representation of God. The exact representation of God. So, so if Jesus is the exact representation of God, how did Jesus represent God? How did Jesus represent heaven? How did Jesus bring heaven to earth? Well, Jesus' platform was grace and truth. Jesus's platform was grace and truth. He was fully grace and fully truth. Just like he was fully man 
and fully God. He wasn't 50% man and 50% God. He wasn't a man that was just kind of had some extra special powers. He, he wasn't God that, that, uh, that, but, 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 but also kind of had some kind of human tendencies, you know, or, or, or whatever. This is not like Zeus or something like, no, this is fully God and fully man. It's a supernatural idea that we can't even fully comprehend or understand, but that's what the scripture teaches, much like the Trinity. We can't fully comprehend that. We can't fully understand that. But even that makes sense because if there is a God, an uncaused cause to the universe, it only makes sense that we couldn't fully explain him. If we could fully explain him, he wouldn't be God. And so it makes sense that there are things, some things about God that we do not fully understand and we cannot fully wrap our minds around and we cannot fully explain. God has revealed himself to us. And so we know a lot about God, but we don't know all there is to know about God. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways, higher than our thoughts. So Jesus is God in a bod, full of grace and truth, supernaturally both. And so as his followers, as citizens of heaven, we are to be people of grace and truth, compassion and conviction. And like Jesus, we accurately represent God to his creation. We accurately represent heaven to earth. We bring heaven to earth through grace and truth. We are Christ's ambassadors, the scripture says. God is making his appeal to the world through us as his followers. God is making his appeal to the world through us. And so we represent heaven. We, we're ambassadors for Christ as much as we are full of grace and truth. Jesus told his disciples, remember to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his will is done on earth as it is in heaven through his followers, his ambassadors, his representatives, you and I now, as we are and as much as we are people of grace and truth. So how do we conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel? What does it look like to be a people of grace and truth? That's what we're talking about in this series. So here's the first thing we're going to talk about next week. Citizens extend compassion anchored to conviction. This is what it looks like to be people of grace. We'll talk about that next week. Because if we are compassionate without conviction, that's just a hollow, meaningless compassion. It doesn't transform. It doesn't change anything. It's hollow and meaningless. And so to be people of grace, people of compassion, we have to extend compassion anchored to conviction. Then in week three, we're going to talk about what does it look like to be people of truth? Here's people of truth. Citizens that share conviction clothed in compassion. We remain committed to biblical truth. We're people of truth, but it's clothed in compassion. Paul said in Colossians chapter three, verse 12, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and peace. That means as we're committed to our convictions, as we remain people of truth, we don't do that with pride or arrogance. We're not rude. We empathize. We're compassionate. We're kind. We're humble. We're gentle. We're patient as we share our convictions. Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, regarding compassion and conviction, that we will all mature in Christ 
as we speak the truth and love to one another. So that's how we mature. That's how we grow up. That's how we stop biting our friends. We speak the truth in love to one another. And so that means if we're not speaking the truth in love or when we can't speak the truth in love or when we don't speak the truth in love, when we're not remain committed to compassion and conviction, both grace and truth, we remain immature. Like a little kid who won't stop biting their friends. Biting and devouring one another. Destroying each other in the process. Paul says it's immature. If you can't speak the truth in love, you're going to remain immature in Christ and in life. Like a little kid who won't stop biting their friends. So what's the alternative to the either or toxic environment we talked about? What's the alternative? Here's the alternative. The alternative is both and. It's not either or, it's both and. That's the alternative to the either or toxic environment. As long as we engage in and promote an either or environment, we will remain immature, both spiritually and in life. But according to Paul, if we can pursue both and, We will mature, we will grow up in Christ in the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter four. So we've got to resist the either or kind of environment, the either or culture, and we've got to embrace, we've got to pursue a both and kind of environment and culture. So in this series, what we're going to be talking about is what does it look like to be a people, a family of both and, a people of grace and truth, compassion and conviction. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so today we're going to dive a little bit deeper in what does it look like to be a people of both and, to embrace, to pursue this both and culture instead of the either or kind of culture. So number one, both and requires reframing. To be a people of both and, it requires reframing. Here's what I'm talking about. The world's either or options are severely lacking and disingenuous. The either or options in our world and our culture tell us you either believe black lives matter or blue lives matter. Tells us that you either believe in law and order or policing reform or defunding the police. You either don't care about mothers or you don't care about babies. Couldn't be both and. It's either or. You either love the poor or you're for a personal responsibility. You couldn't be for both. It's got to be either or. The world's either or options tell us we're either for totally open borders and no border at all or no immigration at all. The world's either or options tell us you must champion my cause or you're an idiot. You must champion my cause or you could not be a Christian. When championing a cause never inherently diminishes other causes and doesn't communicate a lack of support for other causes. Saying black lives matter doesn't mean I support an organization. It doesn't mean I believe other lives don't matter or that one matters more than the other. A year ago, I was doing my wife's grandfather's funeral, talking about how special he was to us, how unique he was to us, how broken we are at his passing. And if you had come up to me after that funeral and said, Clayton, listen, all grandfathers matter. It would have been incredibly insensitive and rude and mean. Me talking about how special 
I consider him to be one of my granddad. Uh, my grandfather is how special Darby's granddad was to us and what he meant to us and how much we loved him and how much his life mattered. Doesn't mean we don't appreciate or love or value other granddads. Championing one cause or an issue doesn't inherently mean that you don't support or that your issue is more important than someone else's. Saying I'm pro-life and against abortion doesn't mean I don't care about the tough circumstances a woman finds herself in or women altogether. It doesn't mean I don't care about kids in foster care. It doesn't mean that I'm not pro-all of life or as it's been called, womb to tomb. I'm for all of those things. And championing one doesn't inherently diminish the other. Either or options almost always present a false premise, a false dilemma. But it's what happens when we allow the world to frame issues for us. When we allow them to frame the agenda, when we allow them to frame the questions, when we allow a broken two-party system where either party will do what it takes to win, to frame issues, we're left with false dilemmas and false premises. But being a people of both and, grace and truth, requires not participating or, bro- or promoting the broken way the issues today are framed. It requires reframing the issues. Secondly, being a people of both and requires tension. It requires tension because of common grace. And because every person has been made in the image of God, it's the Latin Imago Dei. Every person on the face of the planet carries what's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. There are elements of God's heart and character and goodness in each party platform. Tension means we recognize the good and recognize that neither party are perfect or complete because they are man-made. If there is no tension in your politics or with your own party, then you have a problem. The authors of Compassion and Conviction wrote this, that when you have no tension with your own party or even with your own politics, it is intellectually lazy and you can be easily manipulated. The issues in our country are not so clear cut and so simple. There aren't easy answers and neither party is worthy of total devotion because neither progressivism nor conservatism are totally Jesus. Tim Keller, popular pastor, author, theologian, wrote in an article for the New York Times two years ago, which is picking up steam again here even recently, he wrote this, Christians don't fit into either party. The historical Christian positions on social issues do not fit into contemporary political alignments. One party is known more for their compassion, the other party known more for their convictions. One party tells us we must surrender our biblical convictions, Another party tells us that we neglect Christ-like compassion. Neither are optional for the Christian. Neither are optional. Which means tension. Tension isn't a problem to be solved. It's something you manage. And the tensions, the problems that we face in our country are very deep and intense. There are not easy answers. 
Tension requires resisting the broken, insufficient, easy answers, rhetoric, memes, posts that each base uses to fire up their followers and demonize the other side. And the recognition of tension always produces humility. And Paul said in Colossians 3 that we're to clothe ourselves in compassion, kindness, gentleness, and humility. When you recognize the tension, it always produces humility because you recognize, I don't have all the answers. And the answers aren't easy. And so when you recognize the tension, as a person, as a people committed to both and, when you recognize tension, it always produces humility. And then third, people of both and, it requires discernment. To be a people of both and, it requires discernment, critical thinking. And here's why that's necessary, because the Bible doesn't speak to every political issue. And where the Bible is silent, we should have the discernment to stay silent ourselves, or at least speak with humility, recognizing that Jesus-loving, Bible-loving Christians will see things differently. With something as major and as important as the church, there is much silence in the New Testament about the way the church is supposed to work and how it's supposed to function and the way it's supposed to look. We have some direction, but we don't have complete and total direction. There's some silence. And when the Bible is silent, it means that you and I need to have the discernment to stay silent ourselves or to speak with humility, recognizing there's tension there. What the scripture says about one domain, marriage, family, work, church, government, doesn't necessarily mean that that same thing applies to another domain. Let me give you some examples. And this is why it takes discernment. The Acts 2 community where they all shared everything they had and gave to those who were in need was a description of the church. That's a different domain than government. And so it would be incorrect biblical interpretation to look at a description of the church and then to apply it carte blanche to the government and say that we should force the redistribution of wealth or that socialism is the biblical model of government. It's not. The Acts 2 community was a description of the church. That's a different domain than government. We don't take what the scripture says about one domain and we apply it to another. Conservatives are guilty of doing the same thing when it comes to Romans 13. We see a very limited view of government in Romans 13 where the government is to bring the sword that to punish the wrongdoer, the, the evildoer. And so what happens a lot of times is conservatives where the scripture is silent about government will take that to mean that we're, we're, we should have a very limited government which may not be anything wrong with that in and of itself, but that doesn't mean that's the biblical model of government. And so what conservatives will do sometimes, because we see a limited kind of view or scope of government in the scripture, they'll then apply that and say, well, then we shouldn't use the government to promote justice or correct oppression or even help the poor. We, we don't take what's written about one domain or where there's silence about one domain and then apply it to another that's not good biblical interpretation. We've got to be mindful of context. If you've been here for other series, you've heard me say context, context, context. We've got to know what the Bible is saying, who it's saying it to, who the audience is, what the time is, what the context is of the scripture. That takes discernment. 
It takes discernment to know whether today in our culture we should post something or not, whether we should comment or not. Author, philosopher, theologian, educator, civil rights leader Howard Thurman, who was a mentor for Martin Luther King Jr., said this. He said, hate is formed in a situation, watch this, where there is contact without fellowship. Now think about that for a second. Where in our culture do we have contact with no fellowship? He said this, much of modern life is so impersonal that there is always the opportunity for the seed of hatred to grow. Thurman said that when we are confronted with one another, but are never really in a position to be with one another, we develop an understanding of that person that is strikingly unsympathetic. When we are close enough to people to observe them, but through that shallow contact, we develop an understanding of them that is hard, cold, and deadly. He said, when we're close enough to people to observe them, but not actually have contact with that person, not actually have fellowship, relationship with that person, we develop an understanding of them that is hard and cold and deadly when we have contact without fellowship. That was, he, he wrote that about the mid 1900s. Okay. We're living in a day now with social media that I don't think Howard Thurman could have ever possibly imagined where we have more contact without fellowship than in that's, that's ever existed in the history of the world. And so I think Howard Thurman was correct because where do we see more hate today than any other place? It's on social media where there's contact without fellowship. There's contact, but no community, no relationship, which makes it a very dangerous place to be and to play. And it makes it a terrible place for engaging in things that we disagree with. A terrible place. The worst place probably in our culture to engage in politics probably would be social media because according to Howard Thurman, it's a place where we have contact with no fellowship. It's immature of us to blast on social media, but to not be in relationship with someone and have a conversation with someone that we disagree with politically. It's the breeding ground for hate and immaturity. We need discernment to know whether or not we should post something or even comment on someone else's post. Frederick Douglass, the Christian abolitionist, orator, writer, knew this quite well. In a lecture in Rochester, New York, he explained that he would partner with the American Anti-Slavery Society to abolish slavery, but he would not partner with them in their effort to abolish the American government as a whole. Watch this. They believed the U.S. Constitution was a slaveholding document and that they needed to abolish the union itself for the sake of emancipation. Douglas disagreed. That takes discernment. He understood the flaws in the U.S. Constitution and the blind spot of the founders, but he believed the Constitution opened the door and provided the apparatus to abolish slavery. And he said this, to dissolve the union as a means to abolish slavery is about as wise as it would be to burn up this city in order to get the thieves out of it. Frederick Douglass exercised discernment. He spotted the tension in his own party, in his own movement. 
He wasn't intellectually lazy. He wasn't easily manipulated. He spotted where his own movement had it right, but also where they had it wrong. That took intense discernment. In an incredible moment in our history. And that's why he was a great leader. Because he was able to reframe issues and not go along with the all or nothing, the either or kind of environment that is so toxic to our culture. He understood the tension. That even in his own party, things weren't complete. Things weren't perfect. They had some things wrong that they needed to fix. And it took discernment to disagree with everyone around him who was heading in a certain direction. It took discernment to say, no, 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 that's not right. He was a a person of both and, and he made a difference. You know, people wanted Jesus to pick their side too. There was all kinds of spiritual and political factions and parties of his day as well. There were many different sects, even within Judaism, and they all wanted Jesus to affirm their party, to affirm their way of thinking, their way of believing. And so if you've read the gospels, you've seen some of these loaded and questions they would ask Jesus, right? Uh, what, What do we do? What do we do with this coin? Is it for the Lord or do we give it to Caesar, right? It's this or that, Jesus. So which is it? Which party are you going to align yourself with? There there were some that wanted to overthrow the Roman government. There were some that wanted to appease the Roman government. Jesus, which which direction do we go? Whose side are you on? You got to pick one. They did the exact same thing to Jesus. Either or Jesus, you got to pick one. But John chapter one says that Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came and lived among us. Who? All of us. So watch this. Jesus didn't pick a side. He came alongside. That that was Jesus's heart, was to come alongside anyone and everyone and show them the way forward. Jesus didn't pick a side. He, He came alongside. He came alongside his enemies. And he served them and he washed their feet. And then he died for them at their hands, at the hands of his enemies. He died for his enemies. And while they were killing him, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus came alongside his enemies. That's the gospel. That's how you were saved. Romans 5 says, makes it clear, you and I in our sin, we are enemies of God. We were his enemies. We were rebels. And God demonstrated his love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, his enemies, he died for us. He came alongside and then he died for his enemies. That's the gospel. And so if you're ever wondering how you need to conduct yourself with someone you disagree with, (laughs) Oh man, the gospel calls you to come alongside. The gospel calls you to deny yourself. The gospel calls you to serve them, to wash their feet, to eat with them, to hang out with them, to befriend them, and then to literally give yourself up for them. That's what the gospel calls you to do. 
That's what it looks like to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Because in the gospel, Jesus came alongside sinners and he died for people that disagreed with him and that didn't understand him. He came alongside and it's the power and the beauty of the gospel. That in the gospel and at the foot of the cross, the righteousness of God and the grace of God met. The compassion of God and the conviction of God, the commitment to his truth met at the cross. The grace of God and the truth of God met at the cross. The wrath of God and the love of God met at the cross. It's the power. It's the beauty of the gospel that that at the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied and the love of God was demonstrated. It's the gospel. It's where grace and truth meet. It's where you meet God. Listen, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus before, you you need to know that the only place you can meet God and be forgiven of your sin is at the foot of the cross. Because it's at the cross where your sin was paid for, the fine for your sin that you and I owe. The Bible says you've broken God's law, you pay God's fine, and God's fine for sin is eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you while you were a sinner. He died in your place for your sin. And so the Bible says at the foot of the cross, when you give your life to Jesus, when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine, your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You meet God. Your sin is forgiven at the foot of the cross where the wrath of God for your sin was satisfied and where the love of God for your life was demonstrated. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus today, I would invite you to give your life to Christ today. Jump on our app, fill out our connect form. Let us know that you're making that decision today to commit your life to Jesus. It's where you meet God, at the foot of the cross. But did you know it's where you and I meet too? In the gospel, God comes alongside his enemies and he serves them and he dies for them. And it's the beauty of the cross. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, that it's this same gospel that tears down the walls of hostility. And watch this. He says, it makes us fellow citizens. So it's at the foot of the cross that the walls of hostility are torn down between you and I. And we become fellow citizens. We become a family. Citizens of heaven. You and I meet at the cross and that's where we come alongside anyone and everyone from any party with grace and truth. And we point them up to Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're going to be liked or popular. That's not our goal. The world hated Jesus. And Jesus said, the world will hate you too. Our goal is the glory of God, the salvation of souls and loving our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus said his disciples would be a city on a hill. And like him, they would too would be the light in the darkness. And I would submit to you today that the way you and I are this city on a hill that we've named our church after, the way that you and I are going to accurately reflect the city of God to our cities here on earth 
It's through grace and truth. It's through being a people of both and, and the power for that, the ability for that, the grace for that, the truth for that are all found at the foot of the cross where you and I meet, where the walls are torn down and where we become fellow citizens. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the cross the beauty of the cross, the power of the cross, where the wrath of God and the love of God are met all in one place and satisfied. We thank you for the cross that tears down the walls of hostility and makes us fellow citizens of the city of our God. God, in this moment, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you remind us of the gospel that Jesus, the word who became flesh, came alongside us, his enemies, and he served us and he ate with us and he talked with us and, and he had fellowship with us. He had relationship with us and then he died for us. Would you remind us of the gospel? And then by your spirit, would you allow us and help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus this week and, and over these next couple of months? And God, I pray that you would use us. You would use this city on a hill to change the culture, to change the environment. That we might see something different in the days and the years ahead instead of the toxic, biting and devouring culture we find ourselves in today. Would you help us to be a part of changing that? Would you help us as a city on a hill to be a light in the darkness? It's in your name we pray, amen.